0: A good Nair of Shabbos to our friends and members of the West Mount Shul. This Shabbos is Parshas Kiseite. Kiseite is chock full of many, many mitzvahs. And I'd like to focus on one of the more unusual ones, which is the mitzvah of the Ben Sorer Umore. A child who is stubborn and rebellious, who does not listen to the voice of his father and his mother, does not listen to their discipline. The Torah says it gets to a point where the father and mother bring him to the elders of the town, and they say "This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He doesn't obey our voice, and he's a drunkard. He's just a lowlife. Then what does the Torah say? Now, he's been warned many times he doesn't listen. Torah says, Then all the men of the town shall stone him to death. So we got to try to understand what's the Torah teaching us? Are we to believe that parents would actually take up the Torah's advice and have their son killed if he acts like a monster in his teens as a juvenile delinquent? Can you imagine a Jewish mother sending her to the high court and says, here, my son, I want you to take along these cookies I bake for you and don't forget to wear your, your cardigan. It gets cold in the death chamber. I don't think so. And besides, what's the death sentence for? The Talmud says, for eating a little bit of meat, drinking a little bit of wine, for stealing some food. Isn't this punishment quite excessive? He's only a 13-year-old. Do these offenses really merit capital punishment? So Rashi brings from the Talmud that he is not punished for his current sins. Rather, given the fact that he has outrageous juvenile delinquent behavior and he doesn't listen to his parents, it's inevitable that he'll grow up to be a robber and a murderer. because once he gets used to having wine and, and meat... And he steals from his parents. Eventually he's going to clean them out of money. He'll start robbing people. He'll eventually come to murdering people. We can almost say that this would be the same thing to have children who are drug addicts. So the Torah says, better to kill him now before he murders other people and before he destroys his own soul. In other words, the Torah is saying, look at this pattern of behavior. It demonstrates that he is doomed to a life of inevitable evil. So let him die an innocent man and not a guilty man. Very, very unusual statement. Really, all of Yiddishkeit is based on the idea that even a sinner can do tshuva. We're in the month of Elul. We believe in tshuva. Certainly a 13-year-old boy who at this point has not been killing yet Certainly he could change his ways. How can we be certain that he will become a murderer? We know the Torah says nothing stands in the way of Teshuvah. Even the most evil Jewish king, Manasseh, was accepted as a baal And here we say that this 13-year-old troubled boy is destined to grow into a monster. How can we be so sure of this? And moreover, the commentaries ask, we see with Yishmael, who was near that same age at 15 and he was a very difficult child to say the least. And when he was dying from thirst and praying to God and God wanted to save him, the angel said, what do you want to save him for? Later on there's going to come terrible people from Ishmael. And Hashem says, what is he right now? Is he such a terrible person right now? He says, no, now he's at Tzadik. He did tshuva. And Hashem spared him. And we see that Yeshua actually did do tshuva later on in his life. So we see even a terrible juvenile can do tshuva. So why are we killing this boy over here? So we've discussed this issue in the past. But I'd like to share with you a beautiful interpretation of the Shemishmuel who is Rabbi Shmuel Bornstein. The son of the Avnei Nezer, the Sukkachov Rebbe. And he asks another question. The Talmud says something fascinating that at any point, if the parents forgive this child, he is forgiven and not punished. That's what the Talmud says. Now we gotta think for a minute. We don't kill the boy because of what he does to his parents. We kill him, as the Talmud explains, because the Torah testifies he's destined to become a killer. So what does it help if his parents forgive him? He's still destined to be a killer. Let's say you have a child who's a drug addict, and a very serious drug addict. And he's, he's stealing money from his parents. What does it help if the parents forgive him? He's still a drug addict he can still do terrible things. So why is the, they're forgiving him? How does that help that as he gets older, he'll kill other people? You need other people to forgive him, not the parents. And the Shemishmuel says a beautiful answer, and it serves for us a beautiful lesson for our day and age in terms of our parents and educators deal with children who are difficult, challenging. And he says the following is so that we all know. That every child, even the greatest menace, is inherently holy and good, divine and sacred, because each of them carries the spiritual genetics of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Each of them has a Jewish soul, which is eternally connected to Hashem. Now, it could be that sometimes we forget about that and circumstances in our lives direct us in ways that we forget that we have such a divine soul. Now, of course, it's the job of the parents, the father and the mother, have to keep their bond with their children strong. Should a parent for example, sever their relationship with a child, even have a good reason to do so. Sometimes you have a family where the child is really going off the derech, he's Machal Shabbos, and it's a bad influence on the family. And some parents, you know, you don't know what to do sometimes. What do you do? Let's say you have five or six kids, all of them are good children, but one of them is like totally off the derech. He doesn't keep Shabbos, doesn't keep kosher, doesn't comport himself in the way that, you know, a a fine, upstanding Jewish child should do, and now it creates a negative environment. Well, how does a parent deal with this? Should they sever the relationship, throw the kid out, so he doesn't affect the rest of the family negative? But you got to realize, if that happens, you've cut that child out from that unbreakable chain back from Avram to this very day. The Avos, Avrami, Isaac, and Yaakov have put into each and one of us our spiritual DNA, the ability to love Hashem, be close to Hashem. And it goes from parent to child, parent to child, it's in our DNA as Jews. And yes, we can be fooled by the Yitzhak, we can be challenged, things can happen that are not necessarily the child's fault. Sometimes there's abuse, abuse in school, abuse from strangers, whatever it is. And the child is devastated and doesn't know what to do. And the parents have a difficult choice to make. This child is growing up to be a juvenile delinquent. So what do we do? Do we throw him out? Do we forgive him? What do we do? Well, one thing's for sure, says the same Ishmael. When a son feels the love inherent in his parents' willingness to forgive him, despite all the misdeeds he's done, he still keeps his connection to his roots. And since his roots are so deep and so holy, there's now a hope that he'll find the ability to transform himself. But if the parents do not forgive the child, they do not allow him to forgive himself and start his life fresh, all they're going to do is ensure that he continues in this destructive path. But the moment that they forgive him internally, the moment that they can accept their child and love him despite all his terrible and heartbreaking failures, they now allow him to discover his own spiritual power, which is deeper than all the failings and trauma that he has. And the shemi Mishmul explains, this explains another medrash that says, Tshuva helps for Jews and not for non-Jews. Why is that? And he explains the same idea that since every Jew is a child of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov and they are essentially pure and holy souls but by chance we dirty ourselves with sin but once we do tshuva we arouse that root point of that shalsheles, that chain of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov going all the way back and we reconnect to that beautiful soul We're capable of doing tshuva and returning back to the way we were. We have a good place to go back to. But when a non-Jew sins and he cuts himself off, there's nothing to go back to. And even if he does tshuva, it's not a guarantee he won't go back to evil because he doesn't have a spiritual root like the patriarchs to go back to. This is such a beautiful gift we should realize, Rabbi Isai. That we're coming in three less than three weeks to Rosh Hashanah. And Hashem is giving us these weeks to do tshuva. And we have the ability to really do a tshuva. Because when we're doing tshuva, we're connecting back to our root souls of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. And this is the great message the Torah is teaching us. That we should never ever disconnect from our children or students, or people, we have a connection in Yiddishkeit, even if it's not easy. Sometimes we have to break the connection. Sometimes we have to sever the bond. But that should not be our default position. Our default position is, once we, if we sever the bond, we'll never see them again. When we have a child, or a friend, or a relative, or ourselves, who have been disappointed with their lives or our lives, and there's nobody there to help them, we're broken. How do you have that ability to repair yourself? You has got to believe in your own soul. You got to believe in your own future. You got to believe in your own goodness. So how can that happen is that the ones who surround the person who's challenged, we have to love him. If we can forgive him, we can show him that he's not a worthless, helpless case. But he is a piece of divinity, a fragment of Hashem in this world. And we try to keep him connected to the chain. We'll allow him to see himself ultimately in the context of the 4,000 year change of which he is the next rung. There's all kinds of stories you hear in the, all kinds of circles. There's a big challenge, especially in the Hasidic world, where there's certain very clearly demarcated behaviors, and there are children who are really going way off the deep end. And it's a difficult, difficult situation. How do we deal with these issues? And on the one hand, we feel we should throw the kid out if you've tried everything and he's such a bad influence. But the truth of the matter is love can conquer all. The family has to sit together with all the family members and no different than if, God forbid, there was a child who had a medical condition suffering from cancer, God forbid. You share this with the entire family and say we have to stick together and try to help our our brother or sister. To recover and we know we're going to have to give him more time and more attention no different if there's a spiritual sickness we have to get the family together and realize that number one we have to love this person and there are stories of children who went totally off the derech, and they go out every night and they party and they come out at three four o'clock dressed not very jewish like coming in drunk as a skunk and, of course, the natural reaction is to yell and scream. But there are certain parents who know we have to love him and tell him we're always there for him, although we tell them we are not, we, we don't uh, accept his behavior. But we understand he has a challenge, but we love him. And there's some families, the stories tell, that as the child goes out to leave, to go on a Friday night to a discotheque, the mother will say, listen, here's a, here's a, a box of cookies. Share with your friends. Or the father could say, I just want you to know if you ever need me, my cell is always on and could always call me. Instead of yelling and screaming at them. The child has to always feel there's a back door waiting and hoping for him. There's an interesting story that Rabbi Shimon Jacobson said. He said, a number of years ago, after he gave one of his weekly classes, he was discussing the fact that everyone on this earth is sent with a special mission from Hashem and given unique qualities and all the necessary faculties he needs to fulfill his mission. And even if someone is weak or deficient in one area, even born with certain challenges, which we used to call handicaps, the same person is blessed with other strengths that compensate for it, allow this individual to realize his or her call. Some of these strengths can be less obvious than others, and it's our responsibility to, to uncover those deeper resources. That was the idea he was saying. So after the class, a striking young man approached him But as he got closer, Rabbi Jacobson saw that the person suffered from some motor complications and he asked to speak privately and he had a certain speech impediment. And the fellow shared with Rabbi Jacobson that he was born with a rare disease that affected his nervous system. It also impaired his mental capacity and growth. And then later, only later on, did he discover that his parents gave him away as a newborn after hearing that he was diagnosed with such severe mental challenges. And over the years, it turned out that the diagnosis was not completely accurate, though he still suffered from many problems. But what? But after all these years, at that point, his parents were not willing or unable to handle him, and they chose to have no contact with him at all. His parents were very wealthy and prominent, and they provided him with all the care he needed in an institution for children with special needs, but they never came to visit him. And for all practical purpose, he was brought up as an orphan. And this fellow was said, you know, I was a quote-unquote privileged orphan. (laughs) All his physical needs were met, except for the one most important, unconditional love from nurturing parents. And Rabbi Jacobson felt so strongly for this outpouring of his soul. But as he's watching it, he could see what kind of a special person he was. He was an exquisite human being with a special chain, a special charm. And then he continues and says, Tonight you said that each of us has a unique mission despite appearances? So can you help me discover what my special qualities are? And Rabbi Jacobson was so taken from this, the guy wasn't even aware of his own level of refinement. How this young fellow was a tortured man who could give more love and kindness than those people Rabbi Jacobson knew, and he's crying out for help. And the fellow would attend many classes and they talk. And from time to time, this fellow would address his own feelings of rejection and his desire to confront his parents, he tracked them down but was terrified of contacting them. Well, anyway, to make a long story short, Rabbi Jacobson figures, you know, maybe we're gonna, I, maybe I'll call the parents. As a long story he calls to hang up, this and that. But Lamais, after many, many months of trying, he finally arranges for a meeting between the parents and the son that they've never seen. And they want Rabbi Jacobson to be there when they meet. So anyway, finally the big day came. I mean, Jacobson comes with this young fellow and they meet the parents in their lavish home in the living room. You know, tea and biscuits, everything. Everything was ready, but the emotions were not released. Obviously a very heart-wrenching experience. So initially everybody's cordial, you know, sort of detached, like strangers meeting (laughs) What do you do? Where have you traveled? So finally, you know, without getting anywhere, Rabbi Jacobson comes in with the first serious statement of the night. Says to the parents, your son told me his story. He must have a lot of anger inside of him, but he hasn't shown it to me or maybe not even to himself. And you must have many feelings yourself. And I really don't belong here. But since I'm here, allow me to say that your son is one of the most beautiful people I know. I have discovered through him new horizons of human dignity and the capacity of the soul to shine in this harsh world. I think it will be truly life-changing for you to get to know each other. And before Rabbi Jacobson stood up to leave, the young fellow turned to his parents, and with a stutter and a bit slowly, his speech was impeded. He began like this. He says, Mama, Papa, I'm not perfect. You too are not perfect. I have forgiven you. Can you forgive me? At that moment, everybody bursts into tears. Rabbi Jacobson makes his way out the door, leaving them alone. Those words, Mama, Papa, I am not perfect. You too are not perfect. I have forgiven you. Can you forgive me? He was saying, can you forgive me for not being perfect? That's what the child asked. Can you forgive me for putting into your life a child who is less than perfect? And that's the beginning of the return. And that's the questions we have to ask ourselves in this month of El. Dealing with children, dealing with relatives, can you forgive your children for not being perfect? Can you forgive your loved one for not being perfect? And maybe the most difficult question is, Can you forgive yourself for being imperfect? One thing is for sure. Hashem is prepared to forgive us because he created us not perfect. He created us with these challenges to overcome, each and every one of us has a challenge, whether it's in anger or laziness or miserliness or insensitivity. This is our home purpose in life. And as much as we could wish our lives and say, I wish I had a perfect life, Hashem says, I never give any of you a perfect life. And I understand the challenges that you're going through. You have challenges. Your children have challenges. Your friends or former friends have had challenges. And everybody has to ask themselves, can you forgive someone in your life for not being perfect? Can you? And then maybe can you forgive yourself for being imperfect? This is the preparation in Elo Ani Dodi Vidodi li. The Torah is saying that no matter how bad the child is, if the parents are prepared to forgive him, There is great hope in restoring that child back to the way it was and the relationship. Hashem should help us as we come closer and closer to Rosh Hashanah. The day where Hashem is going to have to judge us of how we have lived with our imperfections, but also very important how we deal with others, with their imperfections. As I've said before, Hashem will judge us exactly the way we judge others. And if we can forgive people who have imperfections and have hurt us through those imperfections, then Hashem knows that you're the kind of person who deserves to be forgiven with with your imperfections. And if you know Hashem will forgive you, we'll be motivated to truly make significant changes in our lives to be able to have the most beautiful Shana Tova this year. Amen. Thank you all for listening.